welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending June 18th, 2022. This week, it's like a middle school dance as companies continue to watch each other from across the gymnasium, wondering who's going to make the first move. I'm Kim Hollis, and I have too much stuff. How many Funko Pops does one person need? I don't think I need as many as I have. (laughs) Also, Tim Brighty, writer and gamer who cannot explain his recent unexpected windfall. What is up with that, Tim? I can't say much more because of something called an NDA, but Vince McMahon, what a guy. (laughs) (laughs) Also, David Mumpower, published author, media analyst, and someone who is really hoping for a cold spell this weekend. I'd like to thank our builder for not finishing the house in March so that we'll have to do this in 95 degree weather instead of 60 degree weather. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial, who is lying down on the job. Flat on the floor and trying not to move. Don't anyone make me laugh. It hurts. <laughs> we'll do our best. <laughs> what did nothing I just say? Li- <laughs> nothing in my life has ever humbled me like back pain. And I'm someone who has had my intestines literally carved out. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. In our deep dive this week, Business Insider ran with a story that people inside Roku are talking about what it would be like to be acquired by Netflix. Raul, I know you have thoughts. I, I, I do have a few. Yes. There was a whole segment last week that I mercifully cut where I talked about how it made sense for Netflix to buy Roku. Really what this boils down to is this. What is the content that makes Netflix successful? Is it cake? <laughs> Okay, okay. Is it cake? And also, if you look at the ratings we cover and you look at the top movies and you look at the top acquired shows, it's catalog content. It's older stuff, older stuff from the 90s and the 2000s. That stuff that Netflix is rerunning that it previously aired on network TV or in theaters. We laugh at U.S. Marshals hitting the top 10 movies or roll our eyes when Criminal Minds is the most viewed acquired show once again for the 20th week in a row. But the fact of the matter is that this is Netflix's bread and butter. And it's the most lucrative profit model for Netflix as well. They seriously, this isn't even a joke. They keep turning magic beans into like the business of Magic Johnson, who, you know, went from being a poor kid in Detroit into a billionaire. Netflix has kind of done this with old content. You know, Magic Johnson, you could at least see when he was in high school. He was a talented prospect. He was a can't miss prospect you knew was going to go places. Netflix, it almost feels like a dare. You name a movie. And I'm going to name a movie right now. I want Netflix to take the Oogie loves and turn it into a top 10 movies charting thing and i swear to god if they wanted to they could make that happen if they made without a paddle a hit they could make the oogie loves a hit yes okay so sure netflix has original shows like ozark that gets two billion minutes viewed one week or stranger things that gets four billion minutes viewed another week but ncis gets half a billion minutes viewed every week. And if you look at the content you get for free with ads on the Roku channel, 
It's exactly this kind of content, content like U.S. Marshals. So if Netflix is trying to sell you a service with ads where you can watch U.S. Marshals or Happy Gilmore or Without a Paddle, why would you pay them for that when you can open up the Roku channel and watch the same or similar content, catalog content with ads for free. The distinction here is that Netflix, in addition to the catalog content, has the original shows, the Netflix originals. That's why you pay for Netflix. So the case here is similar and it's simple. It's exactly like what Peacock is doing. If anything, shockingly, Peacock is an example to emulate here, where you get the reruns, the cheap stuff on the free ad-supported tier. But if you want the original new stuff, you have to pay. That should be the Netflix model when they finally introduce their ad-supported tier. And what's the fastest way of doing this? By buying someone who's already doing exactly that. The other thing I really like about this, just from a what should happen perspective, Netflix invented streaming media in 2007. If we go back a few years before that, the guy who invented Roku also invented DVR technology. That person in 2008 invented Roku, which means we're talking about two of the most important people in terms of infrastructure and streaming media and really all forms of media consumption of the last quarter century. And I love the idea of them merging just because it feels like kismet to me. Exactly. And it would essentially be a homecoming for Roku. Netflix and Roku have a long history together. Roku actually started as a project inside Netflix as a means of delivering Netflix's new streaming service. But it was spun off before its launch because Netflix was concerned that other companies would see a hardware component for Netflix as competition and wouldn't then license their content to Netflix anymore. Now that everyone's got their own streaming box, and as I've discussed in the past, the streaming box has become moot in the streaming wars. It's all about the services. I'm sure we will end up hammering this point home again. But when you mentioned like, okay, well, why would I want to watch ads on Netflix when I can watch something on the Roku channel? If you asked 100 people what Netflix is, 98 would say they know what it is. But if you ask those same 100 people, like, you know what the Roku channel is, it's so much lower. So I think that that's why Netflix has the benefit of being the, you know, 800 pound gorilla with this, you know, when they get ads. So that is an excellent point. And the fact of the matter is that as Roku continues to lose its market share, Mm -hmm. its dominance on the homepage diminishes. Yes. So its value to Netflix is is less and less the longer Roku continues to exist. And so it's either strike now or don't bother. Right. If Netflix is looking at Roku as a takeover target or as a buyout and looking to bring it home, it's not because they want the streaming box. It's because they want the ad engine and because they want the Roku channel. It solves a lot of problems for Netflix if they buy Roku. I mean, I hadn't really considered it until you mentioned it last week. And I have been thinking about it a lot since then. And you're right. We know that Netflix is about to do this ad-supported tier, which maybe is something they should have been doing all along, but they hadn't. They had the reasons for not doing it. If they are going to do this, it does seem like they need that lowest tier. And let's be honest, that lowest tier 
also seems to be where Roku has just entered the marketplace as, you know, a means of competition to Pluto TV and some other places. But Roku has made an impact in that level because just people have Rokus. It's as simple as that. It already owns the living room. And that is what Netflix is buying. It really does just seem like one of those rare examples where I totally understand how people within both companies are looking at this going, you know, why haven't we done this? And the answer was because in the past, the numbers were too big. Both companies received valuations and market caps that were a little, let's say, optimistic. Maybe they were valid at the time, but they seem optimistic with the benefit of hindsight. And now that the scale isn't the same, suddenly those numbers can be lined up a little bit more. Do I have that right, Roel? Yeah, absolutely. If you look back at the Roku stock price, about 11 months ago, it was valued at roughly $470 a share. Today, it's valued at roughly $70 a share. Roku, we haven't talked about it as much as we've talked about Netflix, but Roku is suffering heavily in this market today. And it needs to change the narrative as much as Netflix needs to change the narrative. The fact of the matter is, if these two companies were to pair up, ultimately, I think it would be good news for the two of them. In our rapid fire this week, we're looking at sports streaming again as Disney's bid to secure the streaming rights for Indian Premier League cricket has failed. I wouldn't say failed in as much as I'd say that Disney took an unexpected approach for the sum of $3 billion, which is a lot of money. Disney gained the advertising rights for broadcast of cricket just on linear television. The rest of the rights went to a competing company for about $2.6 billion. How big a problem is that for Disney? Well, Bloomberg thinks that Disney could lose up to 20 million subscribers because they didn't pay whatever was needed to keep the cricket thing. And I thought it was interesting. Roll, I don't know if you noticed this or not. Last week, we talked about how Disney didn't necessarily have to do this because now we've reached an era where it's not how many subscribers you have, it's how many subscribers you have at the right price. And this would have been the wrong price. Do you think that Disney kept that in mind? Did Wall Street keep them in check here? Is this something they would have spent whatever was needed a year ago? I think it's a smart move. Will Wall Street analysts react correctly is another matter. When it comes to Disney's next quarterly report, if they come in and they say that Disney Plus has lost 20 million subscribers or any fraction of that, we saw what happened to Netflix when they lost just a small number of subscribers compared to this 20 million that Disney's expected to lose. And that was largely because Netflix had pulled out of Russia. There was a very valid reason why Netflix had lost the number of subscribers that they had lost. If Disney shows up and says, look, we lost 20 million subscribers, but all these subscribers were only paying, I don't know, one or two bucks a month. uh, So they weren't exactly our highest yield subscribers. And in fact, our ARPU average revenue per user has increased dramatically because we've lost these 20 million subscribers. Will the analysts reward Disney or punish Disney? I mean, I can tell you what the appropriate Appropriate response should be, but Wall Street rarely responds appropriately. Yeah, that's the thing about it. When we compare this to Netflix, Netflix is a one-trick pony. Now, their trick is very similar to Google's trick back when it was just a search engine company. It's the best trick imaginable. It should be monetized like crazy, and it is. They're earning the amount of revenue they should because they're better than everybody else. Disney, it's a different situation because Disney existed long before there was streaming. Disney turns 100 years old next year at this time. If you didn't know that, that's a real thing. Disney is about to sell 
celebrate its centennial. So it's not like they needed streaming. They have just pivoted to being a streaming service. So it won't be quite as detrimental to them. But if Bloomberg is even halfway right, the panic over Disney stock is just going to get worse, not going to get better. Rollo, I am curious, though, would you have spent the $6 billion to keep the 20 million customers? No, no, I wouldn't have. And actually, the next story we have uh, touches on why I think that $6 billion could have been spent better elsewhere. With every streamer now in the sports streaming land grab, Apple has secured a 10-year major league soccer deal with games available in various tiers from free to paid. I've discussed this with David on and off the podcast. Content creation isn't cheap. If you can find content that already exists and then just sign a deal to show that content on your streaming service, that is going to save you a lot of trouble and a lot of money. Every sport on earth is now in play for streaming rights. I've been switching channels on a Saturday morning on cable and hit upon surfing on Fox Sports 1 or mountain bike racing on the Olympic channel and just left that playing. It's great background noise, not surfing specifically or mountain bike racing per se, just live sports. Now that Disney has lost the cricket rights or Disney has opted not to drop a full $6 billion on cricket rights, watch them. Watch them artificially manifest huge interest in some other sport. I'm not being cynical here. I am being entirely serious. Watch them make lacrosse the next big thing or ultimate Frisbee. Watch ESPN making documentaries about the greatest volleyball player of all time and sports Bro, center. I have to interrupt you because you just hit a bingo there. Kim, we stumbled across something the other day on YouTube and we, we found it riveting. What was it? It was some sort of Frisbee. It was an ultimate Frisbee, but it was in the same ballpark. It was professional women's Frisbee throwers doing some sort of Frisbee golf-like event. And we watched 45 minutes of it. We did. It was was good. We watched it. So you're absolutely right, Roel. That's the other thing here is just analytically, it is so much easier just to take out a camera and record somebody than it is to set up an entire event. And that's what all these companies are starting to realize is that's all we need to do is stick cameras somewhere and then pay somebody to, you know, subsidize the cost of the event to make it cheaper for them. Absolutely. Heck, Indoor Tag is a competitive event that you can watch on some obscure cable channel today. Esports, drone racing, these are things that sometimes show up on television. And what can Disney do with the $3 billion that they didn't spend on cricket? They could make each one of these sports the hugest thing on ESPN tomorrow because it costs a lot less to take a sport that doesn't have the big dollar advertisers and the big dollar sponsors right now and prop them up and run them constantly on your streaming services, on Sports Center, on uh, your documentary channels. There's this little streaming startup whose philosophy I love. They're called Flow Sports, F-L-O Sports. And for years, they've been sending crews out across the country and around the world covering the little sports, college cross-country running, high school football, European bike road races. If we're talking about takeover targets like we were talking about with Netflix 
and Roku, someone needs to be looking at these Flow Sports guys seriously. These guys already have the deals, the infrastructure, the talent, the awareness, the knowledge, the crews. So yes, Apple secured the MLS rights, but in the coming weeks and months, watch every league out there get snapped up, get the rights bought up by all the streaming services as they all try to fill out their live sports content. Uh, Tim, before we talk about the ratings, let's talk about the box office. Sure, because we were talking about it for a while, but here is Lightyear. Here is Mm -hmm. the first Pixar movie in theaters. Probably since, what, the, the before times, right? <laughs> <laughs> Should maybe Disney have kept these on Disney Plus instead? I, I'm almost wondering now if, if because of how wildly successful, I mean, well, I mean, they weren't as successful as, say, Encanto, but because of how well things like Luca and uh, Turning Red did, Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can you can even toss in soul there if you if you want. We didn't really see that, but they may have shot themselves in the foot theatrically. And, and pe- people are probably now just wondering, hey, maybe I'll just wait till it shows up on Disney Plus. Can't be that long after it hits theaters. Yeah, there's I don't know. There's a number of different factors that play here. It could just be that the subject matter wasn't appealing to people, which is a little weird because this is a, hey, it's a Toy Story spinoff. Theoretically, if this was wildly successful, can't you do one with, you know, almost every single character? Can <laughs> yeah. you imagine the can you imagine the Woody spinoff? I, I I wouldn't call that movie Woody, uh, because that, that would draw some uh strange looks. But you know, hey, I mean it's not it's not bad at all. This is it's got in uh 20 million on Friday. Hey, that's that that's fine. It, it is the top movie for the day. It actually may not be the top movie for the weekend. It's going to be pretty close between it and Jurassic World Dominion. But yeah, maybe, maybe it's coming in slightly under expectations. But I, I do wonder if if just people got used to getting their Pixar fix from from Disney Plus releases over the last two years, really. Really, the only surprise here to me is that the reviews for Lightyear weren't that glowing. I mean, you know, we just expect that, you know, a Pixar film is going to just absolutely light it up. And especially one featuring Buzz Lightyear. This one, you know, it's it's done well, but its Rotten Tomatoes score isn't what I would expect to be for this sort of film. Yeah, it's currently 77% as we're recording this. That is among the lowest. Weren't a Cars sequel. Uh, that That's about the, the ones that are at the bottom of, of the list as far as Pixar's features go. So yeah, that is surprising. And I can't quite put my finger why. I, I wonder if people were expecting, if, if Pixar is such a brand at this point, and they, we know what, what they're going to get if they were just, it's not necessarily that it's bad, but they were more whelmed. Yeah. I wonder if that affected the uh, the the rate the reviews here. Not yeah. that the the target audience isn't going to care. This is going to you know the kids are going to eat this up. But uh, yeah, it is a little surprising how it's not up to not in the upper uh, echelon of Pixar performances review wise. Okay, Tim, let's go ahead and move on to the ratings. Sure, we have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, May sixteenth to Sunday, uh, May twenty second, twenty twenty two. And as I suggested, might happen last week. And uh, yep, your most watched thing of the week, according to Nielsen, is the Lincoln Lawyer. Uh, over one point eight billion minutes for ten episodes. That's that's a big jump. That's a solid performance. 
And I'm waiting for this to get a, a second season any day now, actually, after that. This is kind of a staggering number to me. Fully one third of Lincoln's viewership, we're talking about 600 million minutes, came from people 65 plus, which means Netflix is looking at this right now going, wait a minute, we might have another Longmire on our hands here. This is the type of thing that we can build around for a different kind of audience. This is actually the Yellowstone audience. And let me tell you, Netflix wants a piece of that pie. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Actually, I think you can actually include my parents in that number. Uh, they they both they told me that they they watched it and enjoyed it. And I do think because of the way Nielsen tracks these ratings, there is a very slight skewing of older audiences because those yep. are those are people more likely to watch on a TV than a second screen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I I could see it. I'm I'm not surprised at the the jump here. I think it, I was looking whether to see how much what I said last week. I expected it to be number one. I think it was depending on how much this one jumped and how much Ozark declined. And yeah, both both things happened pretty. They basically reversed reverse numbers almost. Uh, and yeah, so I'm uh, they everyone involved has to be super happy with with this performance. Uh, yep, as I mentioned, second is Ozark, uh, just a bit over one billion minutes. Still, still fine as it works its way down the list. Uh, the circle takes a jump in position to third. Uh, not a big numbers jump, though, that does drop after the, the top two shows, 467 million minutes. Again, it's the reality show that's just adding episodes over the course of the month. We'll probably get one more slight bump next week and then, and then the finale, and then we won't see it again until the next season because this is going to be Netflix's thing going forward, just reality shows. Anyway, uh, Grace and Frankie still here in fourth, 436 million minutes. Uh, Working Moms in fifth, 410 million minutes. Uh, something new in sixth, Wrong Side of the Tracks, 382 million minutes for eight episodes. Uh, this is a Spanish series, if I have that correct. Yeah, this is Spanish language drama about a grandfather taking it out on a uh, drug gang after oh, his granddaughter. right, yep. right. Mm-hmm. I remember when we talked about it on What's New. Yes, it, it is a, airs in the country of Spain. It's not, so it, it's a Spanish series, but not Mexican Spanish, Spain Spanish. Airs over there earlier this, this year, and those episodes just showed up on Netflix. And that's obviously their their foreign language. They're they're they are impressive with getting the people to watch these these foreign language uh, shows. Yeah, and this is only season one. These oh yeah, episodes. that's right. That's, so, that's right. Okay. So I watch out for that season two to drop soon. Yeah, that, uh, they premiered essentially back to back. I don't know how that how that quite worked, but yeah, eight episodes started in February uh, through March, and then season two, eight more episodes March. Uh, through through May. So yeah, I'm sure those will show up on Netflix soon. So we'll be seeing this one for, for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, here is something fun in seventh. It is the return of Stranger Things. 378 million minutes for 25 episodes. Uh, yeah, this is, this is some pre-gaming. The new season is going to hit the ratings next week. The previous season was 2019. So it has been a while. So I'm, I'm not surprised that people decided to reacquaint themselves with the series right before the new season dropped. I'm actually now expecting to see Umbrella Academy show up here in the next couple of weeks before that new season premieres. The thing about this, it kind of reinforces what Kim was saying about Ozark a couple of weeks ago, which is that we can verify with this data, with these metrics, there are a lot of people who, when a new season starts, they go back and watch. And I mean, that is a really good number for Stranger Things, but it also kind of makes me wonder, why aren't people just generally watching Stranger Things more? I mean, it seems like this should be showing up more often on the charts than it actually does because it's such a seminal streaming program. Really, arguably the most important one ever. I feel that the audience for Stranger Things is finite. It's a lot like someone who wouldn't necessarily drop into the Star Wars trilogy two movies in. If you haven't watched the previous ones, you're not going to start watching them now. I appreciate that early episodes of Stranger Things 
Things, all the episodes of Stranger Things are already available. But if you didn't catch on to the huge craze for the show in the previous seasons, you're not catching on now. All of this clearly is previous viewers of Stranger Things who are simply refreshing their memories in anticipation of the new season. There is no new audience here. Uh, here is Candy and down to A359 million minutes. That is the Hulu series. Uh, I said this was going to take a, a drop after its solid premiere because of just how it premiered. It opened up, they put the five episodes out over sequential nights from a mon- Monday through Friday, basically. So it had the benefit of the whole week for its premiere last week, rather than just three days, as is typical of a lot of shows, especially ones from Netflix. And then, yeah, takes a little bit of a drop in the second week, and I'm sure we won't see it again next week. Here in ninth, this is Night Sky from Amazon, 352 million minutes for eight episodes. This is that uh, J.K. Simmons and Sissy Spacek series, the one I think maybe should have gotten a lot more marketing than it did, given just the cast come on. But even with the marketing it did get, it managed to uh, make a pretty impressive showing. I just feel it's not going to build off of this very much and it'll probably drop off in a week or two. You really have to hand it to Amazon. They just looked and said, we have two actors here who have both won Academy Awards and we can put them in front of a really inventive sci-fi story. And that really, really works. Amazon Amazon sneaks up on you sometimes with their ideas. If we, if we look at the shows they've had that were hits, you won't find like that one string that connects them together. It's not like that. It just seems like anybody pitches a good idea, they'll put it on and they will give it enough attention that it does well. Always good to see when Amazon can get its get its shows on, on these ratings. Yeah. Even if they're not uh, world beaters. So yeah, good job, Amazon. And Who Killed Sarah is 10th on the originals list this week, 348 million minutes for uh, this Netflix series, 25 episodes total. We've seen that here and there as it premieres a new, new season. That's right. I believe this is the uh, premiere of the third season. Oh, yes. Okay. It, it's probably going to be going for a while. I don't know. These foreign language series, they take a really long time to think things that seem sound very simple, like, you know, money heists <laughs> and who killed somebody. Like, they just drag this out. Jeez. Okay. Yep. Right, so over in movies, it is still led by senior year, 767 million minutes. Very solid performance for the Rebel Wilson movie. Didn't, yeah. didn't fall off, didn't fall off a cliff. So after its first full week of existence. So yeah, I'm sure they'll take it. I did. I expected it to fall off a cliff, but it held almost exactly the same number of minutes wow. in the okay. second week. Yeah. It was it was 797 last week and 767 million this week. Okay, yeah, the number looked uh, very uh, familiar. We don't keep the old ones in our, our show notes. We do have a uh, <laughs> we do have a database somewhere that I keep failing to check. <laughs> this, but yeah, I was like that that would be pretty close to what it was last week. So yeah, that fit, that kind of hold. Uh, yeah, that that's that's always good with with, with movies. It's getting into uh, sequel territory at this point. Now, I guess <laughs> should go to college year? now. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna say mm-hmm. just is she gonna be a you know 40 year old college freshman now. I don't know. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Uh, oh, this is this is fun. In second from Disney Plus, not in Kanto. It is Chippendale Rescue Rangers, 594 million minutes. Nice. This is Disney original content. This is not something that was made for theaters. Right. That's incredible numbers. Uh, I guess let's hear for nostalgia. I don't know who other than previous viewers of Chippendale's Rescue Rangers would be excited for this movie, but I guess there was a lot of them. And I feel uh, fans were probably very satisfied. I watched this movie and I enjoyed it a lot. 
Yeah, I think that something you said actually made us want to watch it. That's when you you mentioned the strong connection to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I mean, before this, it was like eh, another Chippendale story. I mean, I thought it would be charming enough. I wasn't excited, but a connection to the movie from 1988 that's kind of been abandoned since then. Yeah, sign me up. And I need to watch this because everyone I've, that I've heard that's seen it has said it's very enjoyable and they just they just kind of went for it. Like there's a million like throwaway gags and jokes and they they, they didn't really hold hold back and everyone's everyone's enjoyed it. It's not amazing, but they but they didn't feel that they they wasted their time watching it. So I'm I'm hopeful that is a, just a three day number. So maybe that might take a, a jump next week, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, in third is something called A Perfect Pairing, 442 million minutes. Uh, oh, this is the Victoria Justice movie that basically looked like it belonged on the Hallmark Network. Okay, so I think Netflix now has a model for movies going forward. Just rip off the Hallmark channel more. <laughs> it is weird to think that Netflix is just making you know great value Hallmark movies. It is <laughs> it's upsetting. Okay. Pitching under Hallmark Network. Yes. H- how? Geez, that doesn't seem very difficult. Okay. Mm-hmm. This was a less than perfect viewing choice. That's all I'll say. (laughs) Uh, Fourth, still in Kanto, 388 million minutes. Place your bets. How long will this be on the list? It might take a year before we we have a 10-movie Nielsen list that does not include Encanto at this point. Our Father, 216 million minutes. Saw that last week. Turning Red, still here, 257 million minutes. Uh, Something new in seventh, Borrego, 247 million minutes. This is... Oh, uh, Lucy Hale? Yeah, this is Lucy Hale as a, I believe, a botanist in the desert who runs across a drug mule who holds her hostage or something. Oh, like that. It's a, okay. It's a, okay. It's a thriller. Yeah. Thriller, thriller drama. Okay. We, okay. We talked about it and I heard Lucy Hale and just kind of kind of zoned out. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this week on the charts, we get Victoria Justice and Lucy Hale. Now we know, <laughs> now we know what happened to both of them. <laughs> Uh, Operation Mincemeat in eighth, two hundred twenty-two million minutes. So that last week, Moana, more evergreen content for this for this list, hundred eighty million minutes. And finally, from Netflix in tenth, Toscana, one hundred sixty-eight million minutes. I believe this is that Danish movie that I said was like a great travel log for visiting yes. Tuscany in Italy. Yes, Danish romantic comedy drama premiered exclusively on Netflix on May eighteenth. Yeah, uh, it's a not, a not a big number, but they made it. And I'm sure Netflix just wants to get as many eyeballs as they can on their original content. This was, according to Wikipedia, made exclusively for Netflix as the first Danish Netflix original. Oh, cool. Yeah. You know, we, we do talk about like, okay, what is Netflix's model going forward? And I, I think they are going to lean into this, the international stuff. It's probably more affordable than the U.S. and, and, and U.K. Get, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, Americans are going to get reality shows and, and uh, other countries will actually get, get movies. I don't know if this, this apparently isn't all that great, but uh, I'm sure Netflix is actually is happy with, with how this, this performance, because again, we only have these U.S. numbers. It could be uh, doing gangbusters in... <laughs> Well, in Europe. Okay. No, we have to consider the fact that this is a movie that is mixed language. There's a lot of English in it, but there's okay. also Danish and Italian in it. And here it is in the top 10. That's very impressive. Yeah. According to Netflix's top 10 list, it was the number one non-English movie for, 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 this, for this week. So yeah, mm-hmm. solid. Over and Acquired, it is 10 shows we've seen before. Once again, led by Cocomel on 682 million minutes. Uh, most of the usual mainstays are here. NCIS, Chrono Minds, Outlander is still here. But something interesting in fifth is the return of Downton Abbey. 368 million minutes viewed for 50 episodes. And this is probably here because Downton Abbey, a new era, hit theaters on May 20th. Yeah, I bet you the last time we saw Downton Abbey on this chart was the last time there was a Downton Abbey <laughs> movie. <laughs> 
<laughs> Actually, that was that was a, a, a while ago, but it it has uh, appeared on this list. I think they they may have arrived on Netflix or like the last season of it uh, arrived. Oh. And I think that brought it on the list. Oh. But I do I suspect people search Netflix for this movie. <laughs> and just saw the episodes and said, sure, why not? <laughs> as as they are wont to do, because Netflix viewers are apparently very lazy. <laughs> yeah, the, the movie was 2019. Oh yeah, we weren't doing charts back then. Right. It was the before, it was the before times, yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh yeah, that's all for ratings this week, but it's about to get fun because we're getting that Stranger Things number next week. We are also getting the Obi-Wan Kenobi number. And I'm hoping that you know we see some excitement in movies too, with you know Chippendale Rescue Rangers taking a deserved jump. But yeah, it's just Stranger Things alone is is gonna be worth the price of admission next week. So stay tuned for that. All right, cool. Thanks, Tim. Sure. In our green lights and cancellations this week, Netflix is pulling out the big guns as Nicole Kidman, Zac Efron, and Joey King are set to star in an untitled rom-com. And what a strange trio that is. (laughs) This is how Netflix burns through billions of dollars. (laughs) But fortunately, it's only one movie at a time, right? Right. They're just like doing random Google searches, right? They're, They're hitting the I feel lucky button on Hollywood celebrities and casting them. And the upcoming Jerry Seinfeld directorial debut, Unfrosted, the Pop-Tart Story, has announced a cast that includes Melissa McCarthy, Jim Gaffigan, Amy Schumer, Hugh Grant, James Marsden, and more. Damn it, Netflix, you can't keep spending money like this. (laughs) Netflix also teased this week a return to Squid Game. But instead of a sequel, we're getting a reality contest. Squid Game, the challenge, is based on the dystopian Korean thriller. The competition will have 456 players with the richest prize in game show history, $4.56 million. That money is very unlike Netflix. They'll spend that money on uh, Christian Slater and Nicole Kidman, but not on their (laughs) game shows. All right, look, when YouTube star Mr. Beast did his Squid Game contest, our former collaborator Reagan made the joke, show me you don't get Squid Game without telling me you don't get Squid Game. I see a number of problems with this contest, not the least of which being that the theme of the series was that people would do terrible things if they're desperate enough. So, hey, let's get a bunch of people looking for a big cash prize and make them do crazy things. I expect a lot of very tense and perhaps tear-inducing moments as the contestants are made to do tasks which presumably resemble actual tasks from the series, although I hope with considerably less deadly consequences. I'm looking at PTSD to be a real consequence of this contest. Who is insane enough to want to do this? I can't even imagine who would want to do this. So yeah, when we were watching Squid Game for the first time, Tim turned to me 45 minutes into the first episode and said, they're going to do a real one of these and not that long down the line. So we laughed so hard when we saw the Mr. Beast take on this. And I have to wonder, did Netflix actually pay him? And, and, you know, this happens all the time behind the scenes with YouTube influencers. Did they actually say, hey, will you try this and let us know how it goes? Or did they watch his and go, oh, well, you know what? If this, you know, person who has nothing to do with Squid Game can do it well enough to get this many tens of millions of views, we can certainly do that. Either way, I don't know what to think about this from the should I be appalled or not? perspective, but I will say I will kick your ass at red light, green light. Is that clear? (laughs) 
I don't know, David. I can imagine where they play red light, green light, and they say red light, and then they make a sound effect like the cracking of a gun. And I can expect that people are going to piss themselves. People are going to faint at the utter real feeling of this. I don't know that they can actually complete the production of this series without it becoming an utter nightmare. I mean, they're going to get people to sign the most ridiculous, you can't sue us documents ever. I mean, it is going to make Survivor look like a day at the fair. It really is. But are, what are they, I mean, are they going to do like electric fences and whatnot? Are they going to do things to make sure that, you know, they shoot people with pellets or whatever so that there's real stakes here? Or is it just really going to be like a price is right type of event? That's, that's the thing I'm having trouble conceptualizing here. How far are they willing to take this? And do I want them to take it that far? Or would I rather them be a little sillier and more wipeout with it, you know? Yeah. Are we going to get a real life battle royale now? Oh my God. Let's don't give people ideas, I guess is what I would like to say here. (laughs) HBO Max continues its bipolar ways this week as it opted to renew two series, Starstruck, the BBC Three co-production about Jesse, a millennial living in East London and juggling two dead-end jobs and has to deal with the complications of dating famous movie star Tom, was renewed for a third season. Also renewed for a third season is Hacks, starring Gene Smart and Hannah Einbinder. I feel Hacks is getting a lot of momentum. That second season really started to build up. And it's clear, of course, that a third season made sense at this point. Jean Smart is just a fantastic actress. She has had a great second career, if you will, after, I guess, if you look at designing women as her first go around. And what she's doing right now in Hacks is getting her all kinds of praise. So that one makes a lot of sense. I feel Starstruck got renewed because BBC Three is a partner in that one. And so Warner Brothers Discovery just didn't have that much invested and they they didn't care if it had a third season or not. As always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy over the past several days. And I finished a book called The City of Brass by S.A. Chakraborty. And it is about gin and how they fight amongst themselves, although they also wouldn't like you to call them gin. But really... A great story that I have thoroughly enjoyed, and it is part of a series. So I will be moving on to to the rest of the books at some point, though I will read something else in between first. But highly recommended. Great fantasy novel. Raul, how about you? This week, I wrapped up Made for Love on HBO Max. This is the two-season drama with Christine Milioti and Ray Romano that was not renewed for a third season. I said after the first season that it could have been one and out. There were clearly plot points that were left hanging at the end of the first season, That some of which they resolved in that second season, and more plot points at the end of the second season that have been left unresolved and now will likely never be resolved. But I feel ultimately this show suffered from pacing and from, um, I think, an entire cast of characters that are unpleasant. I don't feel I liked any of the protagonists. There was maybe one or two supporting characters that I cared about in any way. But just by the time it was over, I was just wanting it to be over and I'm glad it ended. Now I can finally move on because I haven't watched Stranger Things yet and I need to get busy. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, you need to catch up. David, how about you? So the only thing I really had time to watch this week was the second episode of Ms. Marvel, which Kim hasn't actually watched yet. And it was 
fantastic. I really loved it. They really dove into the details of what it is like being a Muslim American girl who is trying to be religious in what can be a somewhat sexist religion at times. They didn't pull any punches on it and they didn't run away from it. And I admire that. Um, I'm really looking forward to what they actually are going to do with the main character, Kamala Khan's best friend character, uh, the woman who is currently running for a kind of honorary clergy position. I, it would be fascinating if, if that actually happened. And I feel like it, it either will or it's going to lead to heartbreak. Um, but the main thing I want to say is I, I said last year that For All Mankind Season 2 was spectacular. Well, Kim will actually back me up on this because I showed her the final 30 minutes of the season premiere. And most season premieres, what they do is they set the table for the entire season. Now, Ronald E. Moore was, I guess, bored and wanted to try something. So he just went ahead and got the season finale out of the way right off the bat where everyone is living on what I can only describe as a space hotel similar to the International Space Station. And then one little piece of debris causes one little issue and suddenly the gravity gets intense. And what happens when gravity gets intense when you're in outer space? You can't move and the pieces start to come apart. It was gripping television. So, Kim, I have to ask you, as someone who hasn't really watched much of the show at all, what did you think of the 30 minutes you watched? Yeah, it was good stuff. Obviously, very Ronald Moore, but makes me want to watch the whole show. So I guess that's about as high praise as I could give. That makes me very happy. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingintothevoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week.